First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. First Peter four, beginning in verse seventeen. Well, let's begin with verse sixteen. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, Peter includes himself, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And again he says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, because of all everything I've said already, let them that suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. Peter has a very unique exhortation in these closing verses of chapter 4, one which I believe the church in general, has neglected, and yet one which is vital for our comfort and consolation in our present sufferings. For Peter would, in these last verses, compare the suffering of God's children to that of the eternal damnation of the ungodly and sinners. Almost as though he would be saying that we could find consolation in our sufferings when we compare them to the damnation of the ungodly and the sinner. For most people, that is a rather unusual teaching. Yet I believe if we would study Scripture, we'd find that to be a very solid teaching of God and one which we as God's people in a strange way if you choose to believe or think brings consolation to the believers and I hope and pray by God's grace that I can show you that from scripture this morning because again like I said I believe this to be a divine truth which the church has neglected in these past days, one which if you'll if you read much of the forefathers, the Puritans, Reformers and beyond, even the Gospels, you'll find was not neglected but was loudly proclaimed. And I hope and pray that God would encourage us this morning. Peter almost, so to say, in our language in verse seventeen, takes the gloves off after seeking to comfort them in their afflictions, he takes the glove off and he says, now this is what I want you to do. And he ends with us submitting to God, our souls to God in well-doing, as though Peter would end with an exhortation to remind the believers that everything is for the glory of God. It's not all about you or me. It's not about our sufferings and our 
trials and persecutions. It's about the glory of God. And so Peter, I believe, brings it up a level which he requires and demands of the believers to consider if they're ever going to find true and solid consolation in their present sufferings. Having exhorted the suffering believers to presently rejoice in their fiery trials, inasmuch as they are partakers of Christ's sufferings, to be happy if they are reproached for the name of Christ, and not to be ashamed for suffering as a Christian, but glorify God on this behalf. The Apostle Peter would now in verse 17 have them look by faith beyond their present sufferings and afflictions to behold or see God's ultimate purpose and sovereign design in their sufferings. For the time has come that judgment must begin. It's amazing how we went from comfort to now, this is what I want to show you is the ultimate goal of God's divine purpose and design in your sufferings. And don't misunderstand me, but we do live in a selfish Christian age. Peter said it's not an end or an effect about you. It's about the glory of God. The sufferings and afflictions of God's people, beloved, are not an end in themselves, but will, in God's appointed time, according to Peter, usher in a divine judgment which must, Peter said, which must begin at the house of God. But he said will end in the eternal punishment and damnation of all those that obey not the gospel of God and all ungodly and sinners. There is an end, beloved, to all sufferings and afflictions of God's people. And that end, Peter says, begins. Paradox, isn't it? That end begins with God's judging His own house first. That's the end of our sufferings and our afflictions. The beginning of God judging His own house. Though God graciously, and believe me, I've lived long enough as a Christian to not underestimate or undervalue the comforts of God in my afflictions and tribulations. Though God graciously provides temporal blessings and comforts in our present sufferings, yet ultimately, ultimately, these things work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, is what Paul said. They're not an end of themselves. They do a, a work, Paul said, that is far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory for they help us to look not at things which are seen, but things that are not seen. Go over in Second Corinthians chapter 4. These are the words Paul speaks that I just mentioned. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 
for which cause we faint not. Now watch this. But though our outward man perish, okay, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's what our light afflictions work for us. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are speaking the same divine language here of Scripture. He, he exhorts us in verses 12 to 16 to find comfort and rejoicing and happiness in our temporal afflictions, but he doesn't end with the temporal afflictions. He said, no, there's something bigger that you have to take into consideration when it comes to our sufferings and afflictions. Namely, there's an eternal, sovereign purpose of God in our afflictions. The Apostle Peter applies that same divine teaching in our text. He offers them temporal blessings and comforts in their fiery trials, in their reproaches and their sufferings. And believe me, thank God for those times of refreshing, of comfort in our afflictions. Thank God for His grace and His mercy that He gives us in these temporal afflictions. But beloved, we have to learn as God's people to look beyond the temporal sufferings and look to the things of eternity. I'm telling you, these verses of Peter has greatly encouraged and helped me in these last few weeks in the present situation. We find the church and the world with all the confusion and all the hatred and all the things that are coming about in the world. It's, it helps. It's a comfort to look beyond the temporal sufferings and consider the things of eternity, that God will be glorified in both the saving of sinners and the damnation of the wicked. He will be glorified. The Apostle speaks of a divine truth which has been rarely proclaimed over these past years, yet one which is essential not only for the true believer's perseverance under afflictions, but most importantly, listen to me, not only for our perseverance under afflictions, but most importantly, for the honor and glory of God, who will be justified in saving not only the righteous, but he will be justified, he will be glorified in his condemnation and damnation of the wicked. You say that's hard to believe that such a truth could be comforting. And yet, dearly beloved, if we believe anything, if we understand anything of the justice of God and His glory and His righteousness, we would find comfort in the divine truth that God will be glorified in the condemnation and damnation of the wicked. 
there is a day of reckoning. I'm not going to go there yet. In my revelations, it speaks of souls under the altar of God who had been martyred and slain. And they say, how long, O oh God? How long? We sang in those psalms, often words from the psalms speaking about the destruction of the wicked and how the righteous look forward to the day when God shall rain judgment down upon them for their wickedness and God will be justified something one hears very little of today in this day and age of the perverted gospel and people believing that there's no such thing as a just and wrathful God and that there will not be a day of judgment for all men. But Peter, strangely enough, in the midst of comforting these suffering believers under their temporal sufferings, Peter would now turn their attentions to the things of eternity and say, don't stay, don't dwell on your temporal sufferings. They are not an end of themselves, but they're a beginning of something bigger. And that bigger thing is the glory of God, not only in your sufferings, but also in the condemnation and damnation of the the ungodly and sinners. For watch and notice how the Apostle Peter would have the suffering believers compare their present temporal sufferings with the end or eternal damnation of the ungodly and sinner. Listen to the wording of this in verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now watch this comparison here. And if it first begin at us, Peter includes himself, if it first begin at us, Okay, there's a, there's the believer. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? He's comparing them, our sufferings and those. What's going to be the end of those that obey not the gospel of God? But he does it again <clears throat> in verse 18. Verse 17, he said, and if, verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? So Peter does it twice. He would have them say, look at your present sufferings and compare them to what the end shall be of those that disobey the gospel. Look at your scarcely or roughly, scarcely being very hard, difficult, that's what it means, the difficulty of your salvation. This is for those, a lot of those, excuse me, but those free gracers that want to sit back and just take the boat ride and don't worry about nothing until they get to heaven because God's taking care of everything. We don't have to worry about nothing. That's why they live so flippantly and, and so liberal in sin and not worried about sanctification or progressive sanctification. They just sit back and say, God's taking care of everything. Well, I won't even go there. Righteous, scarcely saved. But he says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, if we're scarcely saved, that means difficultly saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? You see how he commends them to compare the difference. And we too, in our sufferings, should not only seek to rejoice in so much as we're partakers of Christ, happy that we're approached for the name of Christ, not be ashamed but glorify God, but we too should look beyond that, temporal sufferings, unto what Peter's saying. 
Peter would have the suffering believers understand that regardless of how much we as believers suffer in this present world, such suffering, like we said last week, could never be compared to the divine judgment and damnation of the lost. It's uncomparable. What shall their end be? Where shall they appear? It's almost as though, in some words, Peter's getting a little bold here in saying, okay, good, you're suffering. Fiery trials and reproaches and persecution, okay. God will give you temporal relief. But the ultimate end is not in your suffering or you having a pity party. The ultimate end is you are not suffering as much as they will be. And in the end, it's better if you submit the keeping of your soul unto God. It's like I said a little bit last week, I, most pastors today spend more time pampering and babying Christians, having their little pity parties and self-pity parties. And Peter is getting a little bold here and saying, okay, good, now it's time to look beyond that. And you'll never learn to <laughs> commit the keeping of your souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator unless you realize the sovereignty of God in all things and His justice and righteousness and that you're not suffering in no way near, no way to be compared with those that are lost. One might first believe that this is a strange or unusual way of comforting suffering believers. But Peter has already comforted them regarding their temporal sufferings. But now turns to direct their hearts and minds to an even weightier matter concerning their present sufferings. Namely, like I said, the honor and glory of God in all of these things. Beloved, it all comes back to the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how much comfort we can have in this temporal life. It's all about God receiving the glory for everything throughout all eternity. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's not about you or I. It's about the glory of God. Look at Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. What a testimony. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. What another wonderful testimony. Now watch. Which is a manifest token of the righteous, what? Judgment of God. Sounds like Peter. What is? Your persecutions and tribulations are a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. Judgment begins at his house. 
that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. What do the free gracers do with that? Oh, we're already made worthy in Christ. Paul says that these things count you worthy, these sufferings and persecutions, which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You see there, there is a divine consolation in knowing that God will recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like Peter. Paul says, rest with us. Why? Because God's going to come back. The Lord's going to come back with vengeance. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be, what? Glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy, there's that word again, count worthy of His calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power, why? That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. See that? It's all about the glory of God. And ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds as though Paul and Peter are on the same page. Take rest. Beloved, there is an end to our sufferings and afflictions as believers. There's an end to it. And it begins with God judging his house. That will usher in the justice and judgment of God upon all wicked. And therein will God be glorified. The righteous will be scarcely saved. God will be glorified in saving His people and glorified in the condemnation and damnation of the lost. And God's people find comfort that that's where it's ultimately going to end. It's ultimately going to end there. Sometimes you hear Christians on Facebook or you talk to them and it's as though there's no such thing as eternity, that there's no end to what's going on in the world, that there's not going to be a final day of judgment when God brings everything under His power, already is, but I mean ultimately. and judges the wicked and eternity. And eternity in the presence of God begins. I wonder how loud John wrote Revelations years ago. I wonder how loud or how many voices has now been added to the souls under the altar of God who are crying out to God for vengeance. Oh, beloved, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We beseech men, as Paul said, everywhere to be reconciled to God. Yet at the same time, we also look forward to the day when God shall be glorified in saving us and condemning and damning the wicked.
Both Paul and Peter would desire the comfort and encouragement of God's suffering people, but would have every true believer understand and desire God's glory in and through it all. It's all about God's glory. Isaiah 24 says it well, verse 15, Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires. Glorify him in the fires. It's all about God's glory. To hear many believers, professing believers today, uh, with their sufferings and their afflictions, they're so introverted. They're so selfish. It's all about me. It's all about my comforts. When you look at all these religious movements, I'm not even going to call them Christian because I don't believe they are. It's all about how good I can feel. We need to have the blessings. I claim the blessings and I want God to bless me and I'm going to live in joy and happiness and it's all about them. It's all about their comforts. It's all about what they want. A true believer knows that it's never about them. As a believer, when I consider the end of those that obey not the gospel of God, I say, if it were not for the grace of God, I too would have that same end. Those that are scarcely saved, they're humbled by the fact that they too could have been like the ungodly and the sinner. Where shall they appear? Where shall they go? And though Peter even addresses their need to rejoice and be happy, he would ultimately declare that in the end it is God's glory and his alone that we need to submit to. Again in First Peter, this is what he brings it down to. I won't get there yet, but still verse chapter 4, verse 19, wherefore, he said this is what all boils down to, wherefore. Not therefore, or for the time, he says wherefore, because of everything I've just said. You're comparing all these things. Let them that suffer according to the will of God. Listen to that. There's a voice of authority here. There's a voice of sovereignty here. Let them that suffer according to the will of God. And beloved, there's comfort in knowing that I'm suffering according to the will of God. Commit the keeping. I like how the Holy Spirit, through Peter, used the word commit. Commit it. Commit the keeping of their souls. I like that. The keeping of your souls. To Him in well-doing. Keep doing well. As unto a faithful Creator. Beloved, there is consolation for the suffering believer in knowing that God shall be justified and glorified in the damnation of the wicked. Over in Proverbs chapter 11, you want to get him, the dog. People, in the, people listening to him, what's he talking about dog? Proverbs chapter 11. This is what Peter quotes, actually. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 31. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. There it is. Temporal, in the earth. Begin the house of God. Much more the wicked and the sinner. Much more the wicked and the sinner. What shall the end be? 
ponder that. What shall the end be of those that obey not the gospel of God? Listen to me just real quickly. I know I'm preaching to people who have an understanding of the gospel, depravity of man. They have understanding of God and his characteristics and understanding of scripture. Think about that. Think about that question that Peter's asking. What shall the end be of those who obey not the What is the gospel of God? What is it? What is it? And what is the end of those who do not obey it? Imagine that. Peter doesn't attempt to describe their end. He just says, what shall their end be? Or where they shall appear. He said, where shall they appear? He doesn't even begin to try to describe what their end shall be. Because I believe the language of Scripture tells us that even the fallen angels and Satan himself knows nothing of the torments of those who obey not the gospel of God. (coughs) Listen to me. The fallen angels and Satan himself knows nothing of the torments of those who obey not the gospel of God. There's no greater sin than against the gospel of God the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's own Son. Have you ever noticed in Acts regarding Judas who betrayed Christ with a kiss? Scriptures say he went to his own place. It doesn't even describe where he went. He went to his own place. You can't even describe what's going to happen to those who disobey the gospel of God. You see now why we have to preach such a gospel with urgency? Beloved, if eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, according to 1 Corinthians 2, then I believe I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that obey not the gospel of God. Peter wants the believers to not rest in the temporal rejoicing and happiness and blessedness of our temporal sufferings, but look beyond that into their ultimate end and goal of God's purpose and design for those sufferings to bring judgment first at the house of God and end with the damnation of the wicked. Such exhortation, Peter said, will enable us to commit the keeping of our souls unto him as the faithful creator. Because it all ends and must end and will end in the glory of God. God, Christ will have supremacy over all things. He will have supremacy over all things. He will. For every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's all about the glory of God. I want to get into next week about uh, disobeying the gospel. and Because actually, Peter's not preaching the gospel here. He's writing to Christians. He's not preaching to sinners. 
he's writing to Christians. But there's a message here for those who are yet lost. There's a message. And I pray that we as Christians, as uncomfortable as this divine truth and subject so often is for many believers, I pray that we would spend more time pondering what Peter is saying here in regards of the suffering of the believers. And thank God for the temporal rejoicing and happiness and joy that God gives us. But our afflictions and sufferings are not an end of themselves. And it's not all about me feeling good when I'm hurting. And to look beyond that, I need to look into eternity. I need to realize that my sufferings are nothing in comparison to watch the ungodly and sinner shall suffer. And then when God judges his own house, it's namely to purge us, to cleanse us, that he might present to himself a bride, a wife, unspotted, right? For our good. Only then, dearly beloved, shall we be able to commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing. May God give us grace to hear the exhortation of Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that, God, you'd help us as thy children to understand this. This is a divine subject which many churches have rejected, denied, ignored. Many do not know or acknowledge. And Father, it's one that, Father, we need to be keeping before our eyes. Thank you for the temporal rejoicing and comforts and joys you give us. We thank you, dear God, that we can say with the apostle that we should be happy when we're approached our fiery trials because we're partakers of Christ's sufferings. Yet, Father, I pray that we'd not look to them as an end of themselves, but, Lord, we'd look beyond that. And, Lord, we do as thy children. We do pray that judgment would begin in the house of God. For, Lord, we're tired and we're weary of this wicked, vile world which lieth in sin. When we look around today and see the evilness and sinfulness of man, how it seems to grow worse and worse. Lord, how could we, but as God's children, long and yearn and pray for the day when you shall finally be honored and glorified in all things, that Christ will have supremacy over all things. Dear God, we pray that you would help us to submit the keeping of our souls unto thee. Grant us thy favor, we pray. Give us guidance and grace. Watch over the stronger family. May you keep them safe. May you heal them physically. May you keep them. Thank you for watching over our brother Greg. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you bestowed upon us. We pray now that you'd be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.